Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. I am so excited to welcome Casey Christopher to Envision Together. I'm so excited to hear what she is going to share. And I thank you so much for reaching out and showing interest in the show and us discovering that we are a great fit to have conversation because we are like-minded in the sense that we want to help other people get to their next level best. And you have a certain area of expertise that I think people can glean from and it can help them. So with that, will you go ahead and introduce yourself a little further? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, And like you said, I'm Cassie Christopher. I'm a master's trained registered dietitian and emotional eating expert. Fun facts about me. I'm a Pacific Northwest girl born and bred. Although some of you have heard in the news, we've had a lot of rain lately and I'll be honest, I'm getting a little sick of it. I'm a I like the rain. Yeah. (laughs) But maybe if it was, if it was happening all the time, I might change my mind. Yeah. See, I grew up here. I also like the rain generally too, but we're getting to like landslide level rain. I'm ready for it to be there. So I hear you. you. (laughs) A little bit about me there. Well, thanks. And thanks for those fun facts. (laughs) You did tell me in a previous conversation that there's events in your own life that led you in the direction of teaching others to overcome unhealthy eating habits. And I got to tell you, it's not necessarily an area that I've succeeded to the highest degree in my own life. So I am all ears. It's not just for my audience. It's for all of us. (laughs) It's for me. Mm. So please tell us about those issues that you experienced that sent you on this path. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So For me, I was in grad school studying nutrition, learning all about how to be healthy and how what to eat and prevent disease and treat disease and all of these things and the stress of it. Uh, It was a very rigorous program and, you know, my own desires to my type A perfectionism kind of came out and I was in the school uh, convenience store every day buying artisanal dark chocolate to help me cope with the demands of life, you know, newly married, trying to navigate that while on top of everything else, it was, it was a difficult time. Mm -hmm. And over the course of two years, I found myself rapidly gaining weight. I found myself um, going from the diets I was learning in school and trying out to, to have optimal health to kind of backsliding to using food to comfort, soothe, and ultimately numb my emotions. And at the end of two years, you know, I I knew everything 
quote unquote over here, right? Like everything I, ha- I needed to know about nutrition, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how much we learn later that we don't know anything. Right. But, mm-hmm. and yet I, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could manage my own eating and I didn't feel like I knew how to make healthy choices for myself. And I was so frustrated because every time something a pivotal would happen or stressful would happen in my life, I would go straight back to those old habits, straight back to the convenience store or the school cafeteria buying. They had the best cupcakes. <laughs> I like food, if you know. Or at least in your perception at that time, it was the best because it was feeding off of the stress too. And I think sometimes just because we need that high, it's the best. But is it really the best? I don't know. But can I just say I can relate to everything you're saying? Okay. Um, and you are an expert because you've got it under control. And I, I don't mind saying I'm still wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so me. I will go six months, even a year, a good exercise routine. I'm yeah. losing the weight. I'm eating better. I'm feeling better. And then life gets bit busy. I start feeling stressed and unexpected something happens. And there I go spiraling back to, I believe I became addicted to sugar as a child. And I'm almost slightly ashamed to say that I've been pretty successful in a lot of areas of my life. And this one, I have not, I have yet to nail it. I keep having windows of doing really, really well, but have I totally nailed it? No. So I've talked too much. Let me hear from the expert. I just want to first validate everything you're saying, because I hear this all the time. I work with women 45 and up who are peri or postmenopausal, and they have been on this journey for decades of Mm -hmm. having that exact you know, kind of getting things under control and feeling good and doing well. And then it sounds like for you, you can pinpoint seeing where the stress comes in, which is wonderful because it allows you to have self-compassion for yourself. But Mm -hmm. sometimes people don't even realize the kind of inciting events Mm -hmm. that cause the backslide or the self-sabotage is what Mm -hmm. it feels like. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And they wonder, why can't I have more willpower? Why can't I just have more self-control? What the heck is wrong with me? But this is the thing. I know I have Mm self-control. I know I have willpower. I've probably lost 400 pounds over the course of my life. Yeah. So I know I can do it. That's not the issue. Yeah. Why do I keep just going back and forth? But I do know that it's tied to some emotional stuff. I have past pain from my childhood and I know that it's connected to that. I know it even has something to do with, I don't know, my body type. Mm -hmm. I used to get a lot of attention and it was unwanted attention. And I think sometimes do I subconsciously put the weight on so that I don't get that kind of attention that I don't want. It's so weird that I can piece together all that stuff and still I struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, can I share a little bit about what might be going on for you? Would that be helpful? So I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but you need to hear it. So here it is. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So um, in the field of 
trauma research. Okay. So, you know, we're not even talking about eating research necessarily here. There is this theory put forward uh, probably in the last 10 years or so by a man named Dan Siegel called the window of tolerance Hmm. and the window of tolerance for all of your listeners. It's also called your comfort zone. And that's the place where you uh, feel good. You feel relaxed. You can easily make healthy choices in that place. You can, you know, get yourself to the gym because you know, it feels good. Right. And, and you like doing these things for yourself. You have the energy to do it. Like you feel good and it kind of self-perpetuates to keep feeling good. Mm -hmm. So that's that window of tolerance. Um, but the truth is, and it sounds like you've pieced this together in your own life, that things happen to push you outside of your window of tolerance. And oftentimes the things that happen are some type of stressor. Mm -hmm. Now, how this plays into trauma, the reason this is related to trauma is that the research shows when they've done brain scans of people who have a history of trauma, Mm -hmm. um, their brains are more quickly to be on alert, more quickly to go into that fight flight or freeze more mm-hmm. uh, quickly to have that cortisol, you know, stress hormone response, because when you've had a history of trauma, well, you're always looking and, and watching and being hypervigilant to on keep guard. yourself safe. Yep. Mm-hmm. On guard. So when people have had a history of trauma, it makes it a lot easier to get out of that window of tolerance. And it can be harder once you're out of the window of tolerance to get back in. Now it's not impossible. And actually what I discovered to help myself heal emotional eating were the very things that took me from outside my window of tolerance to back in my window of tolerance. But before we get into that, I would love to share with you really what it means to be outside your window of tolerance. And there's essentially two directions you can go mm-hmm. up or down. And of course, because life is never that, um, that straightforward. I think sometimes my, my clients I work with find themselves somewhere where they're both up and down at the same time. But essentially you're in your window of tolerance. Something pushes you out, maybe the death of a family member, something unexpected happening, you know, getting sick or just, you know, how in life sometimes it all happens at once. Yeah. Um, you're mm-hmm. doing good for a while and now everything piles on you. And so you're pushed out of that comfort zone. And if you go up, it's called hyper arousal, Mm. hyper arousal. That is the fight or flight kind of response. The, Mm -hmm. if you go down, it's hypo meaning low arousal. And that is the freeze response. So with emotional eating in particular, what I see happening is when people go outside of their comfort zone and they go up into hyper arousal, that's where they're binging. That's where they're feeling really anxious or angry or their emotions are uncontrollable, right? Right. Just like things are kind of going out of control, spiraling out of control. Also that hyper arousal though, I also see it happening when people get very rigid and restrictive and they need rules. And it's like, they went from having a healthy relationship with food where they were able to make choices for themselves. Maybe then they binge the hyper arousal and then they go, okay, I need to cut out everything. I'm going to the gym five days a week. Like that extreme kind of controlling response is actually also hyper arousal. That is not back safely in the comfort zone where you can have a healthy relationship with food. 
Um, oh, that is interesting. Isn't it? The other thing I see happen is that hypo arousal, you're in the freeze response. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, I had a woman the other day, we were talking about the scale mm-hmm. and her relationship with the scale. And we were talking about whether or not it was helpful for her. And I think uh, what I'm about to share with you, you'll hear, no, it was not helpful for her because as we were having this conversation, she goes, oh, I'm sorry. She said, I'm, I'm flooded is the word she used. I, I feel flooded. I didn't hear what you just said. I'm having a hard time being in this conversation. Like I'm noticing that I, my body is checking out with every fiber of my being. And I said, wow, that's really interesting because what that is, is dissociation where you check out again, another trauma response, a sign Mm -hmm. of freeze. And that's actually what we're often doing when we eat. Mm -hmm. So back to the emotional eating. So I'd mentioned binging. Yes, that can be emotional eating when you're eating a lot of food at once. Mm -hmm. You're trying to soothe. You're trying to get the control Mm -hmm. over your situation. But it can also be a way when you eat, you get a hit of dopamine. You get that feel good, reward, Mm -hmm. pleasure chemical in your brain. Mm -hmm. And it numbs the bad feelings. It actually is a tool that you can use to dissociate. (laughs) <laughs> yep. From your body. Yes. I mean, yeah. there's been research into comparing the way dopamine interacts with your brain around food. And it's a, it's a key chemical involved in drug addiction as well. So there are some similarities there. Now, I personally, I, you know, if you feel like you're addicted to food, no one can argue with your experience, but I don't think it's helpful to look at food as an addiction mm-hmm. because you can't abstain from eating. Mm-hmm. And completely abstaining from trigger foods or things that feel uh, scary to you or make you anxious, that's more disordered than healthy. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your the your understanding of it and the way you shared that. I'm going to try my best to adopt that way of thinking of it. But can I just say that when you said there's this hyper side and then is it the drop side or, or yeah, something like yeah, that? Hypo. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say something different and I was all prepared to say, I can relate to that, but you didn't go in that direction. I appreciate what you shared and I get it. I love that. But I do want to then ask you about mm-hmm. this, what I thought you were going to say. When I get depressed or stressed or whatever's going on, uh, mm-hmm. something's triggering something. Sometimes I totally lose my appetite, sugar included. So I drastically drop weight. And I thought that was the two responses you were going to talk about. What's going on when it gets to the point where you lose your desire to eat? It's like the, even the hunger feeling is not there. Yeah. You know, that could, that could certainly be a hypo arousal response, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. freeze response where you can go into depression, you can go into kind of uh, creating a wall between you and the world, you're dissociating from your hunger signals. So you're not feeling those. So that could certainly be a sign of hypo arousal. The other thing I've noticed, and and this is more from talking to a lot of people who struggle Mm -hmm. with food than reading the research. But I think what I've noticed is when there is a, what we can think of as an acute stressor, so very intense, the stress is very intense, mm-hmm. and you can't 
feel the stress intensely for a long period of time, the body has to figure out how to respond to it. Right. And what I've noticed with people is I think if they're, te- if they are someone who tends to lose their appetite, like I'm someone who I never lose my appetite. I will, <laughs> I will, you know, until the day I die, like I will always be hungry. Um, I, I, I skipped a meal literally once in my whole life, you know, true story. I was trying to yeah. fit in with the gals at the office who worked through lunch, like a long, <laughs> long time ago before, before I was a, a nutrition professional. Um, and it didn't work. I was in a lot of pain. So yeah. people who tend to lose their appetite, uh, I think it happens when the stress is very, very intense as that stress gets chronic, it becomes more long lasting and it's there that's when your body's going, okay, we have to find a way to deal with this. We have to find a way to feel better. Like there's no end in sight. And, and you start to get these and research shows that when the stress hormone cortisol is elevated and and for most people, when they're just doing a random sample and research, it's the more chronic stress rather than Mm -hmm. the acute stress. Mm -hmm. People tend to make less healthy foods. They choose the high fat, the high sugar, you know, the Mm -hmm. processed foods Mm -hmm. rather than, and I've never heard someone stress eat a carrot, right? Well, I did. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've yet to say that. I go for veggies (laughs) (laughs) when I'm really, really stressed out. Then it's like, move over sugar. I need veggies. Yeah. (laughs) I wish. I wish. Yeah. I I have experienced exactly what you described. Like I will for, I don't know, four weeks, I lost my appetite, but after that four weeks, so I'm losing weight and, you know, somewhere inside, I'm like, okay, this is not such a bad thing. I'm losing weight. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I'm on the other end of it. Now I'm binge eating. It's more taking in sugar. I'm not really a person who overeats with something like beef or that prop that would be better, I guess. Um, not necessarily beef, but meat or fish or whatever. But um, yeah, I go for the sugar, unfortunately, because I know everyone says that's like, like eating. Yeah. You know, almost. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. When food feels forbidden, when it feels off limits, when it feels like death when it feels like a bad, you know, a bad food. If you would make a list and you would write foods that you would say are bad on them, everything on that list is actually going to have a bigger a dopamine response when you think about it. Now, dopamine mm-hmm. I've talked about is involved in pleasure and reward, but it's also involved in motivation and learning. And so then you are thinking about these foods, you think they're bad foods, and you actually get an even greater hit to your brain going, come on, come on, eat this, it's going to feel so good. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So we think we're rebellious. But it's actually the way our brains are wired that these forbidden foods are more motivating and more enticing to us. We're brainwashing ourselves in a way. Yes. So how I like to think about food (laughs) is that there are no bad foods and there are no good foods. I mean, Mm -hmm. certainly we know from research and yada, yada, that there are some foods that are going to support your health goals Mm -hmm. more than others. And yet all foods are permissible. All foods, you know, can have a place. um, And whenever I've been successful, that's the mindset I was able to maintain. I didn't totally avoid sugar. I just, I did it in moderation. Mm -hmm. 
it was like all things in moderation and that really does work. But I, I think the part for me is still just getting a handle of when that stressor comes up yeah. and, and I start, you know, falling yeah. off of that pattern. And I would love to share with you what I discovered that helped me to stay in that window of tolerance and actually also widen the window of tolerance so that I was more resilient and able to make you know, good choices more often. Would you like to hear about that? Go for it. I feel like I'm getting therapy and everyone just gets to listen in. (laughs) I love (laughs) it. That's okay. I love it. Well, I mean, good news is this is literally my favorite thing to talk about. So I'm here all day, people. (laughs) I love it. I'm having fun and I'm learning. So everyone just gets gets to peep in on my session because can I just say for the audience sake, I haven't asked you really the questions I plan to ask you. Yeah. And that's okay. But it's still going well. Okay. Good. Yes, I'm okay. I'm here and I'm happy to be here. So um, so I was sharing how in grad school, I was on this pattern of going to these restrictive diets where I'm eliminating food groups, cutting things out. And, and we've already talked about why that doesn't work, right? It makes foods forbidden. Restriction is actually something that is more uh, uh, related to that hyper arousal rather than comfort zone kind of headspace. Uh, I was very stressed out and, and I just ended up yo-yoing back and forth. And so many women I work with are like, yes, over my lifetime, I have gained more weight than I've ever lost. Like it becomes this cycle. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went into, if I'm being perfectly honest, I went into being a registered dietitian, you know, with all of my credentials, still struggling with that, uh, relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And it, it was through my work in various, you know, sectors of public health and working with people with diabetes and working with people trying to lose weight and lower their cholesterol and, Mm -hmm. you know, watching who is successful and who isn't, and what are the barriers and what are the struggles? And it all came to a head for me when I became a new mom some years later. Mm-hmm. And I just fell into that very typical, what um, Kate Mann, the philosopher Kate Mann calls human giver syndrome, where I had no self-care for myself. Everything mm-hmm. I was doing was for my family, you know, I expected myself to keep the house clean and make mm-hmm. dinner and keep the baby alive and da 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 da. Um, all while we were remodeling a house and I was on maternity leave. And then two days back, the company I worked for closed. So another ridiculously stressful time in life where I had zero self-care habits. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what, what happened then is again, I was using a food to care for my emotions. It was Ritz crackers and that really good white cheddar cheese, not the orange stuff, Um, you know, chocolate pretzels. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for anyone who's uh, making hungry, but you have to understand. And the spot on the Ritz crackers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Again, no carrots in sight. Yeah. And so what happened for me is I was using food as my self-care. I was using food to numb all of these difficult feelings. I wasn't dealing with the stress or dealing with my feelings about being new mom, being a new mom and not having any self-care and, you know, not knowing how to navigate that um, and losing my job and et cetera, et cetera. And so I turned to food and it got to a point where I was in so much pain. And I I mean, physical pain. And I'm like, something is not right. That was really my wake up call. So So what was the pain? What was the physical mm -hmm. pain? 
Yeah. So for me, as I was just going and getting testing done and trying to figure it all out, my naturopath discovered some uh, autoimmune antibodies. So my body had actually started attacking itself. There was so much inflammation going on. And for me, I'm someone, I have some food sensitivities. I, you know, I know there's certain foods that make me not feel good. Okay. And, uh, and I was, you know, eating all of those things. Cause how could I, how could I not? And it was, it was really contributing to a lot of this inflammation for me. Now I'm not going to say that food is the cause of autoimmune, but for me, it was definitely a big piece of the pain. It was related. So the pain that you're describing, would that be something similar to arthritis or something? You know, you could similar. So for me, the autoimmune antibodies don't attack my joints. They attack my connective tissue. Mm. And so it's more like that ache in your forearms. Like it's just more of an achiness or like overuse is really easy. My thumbs will hurt from texting too much, that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Okay. Um, and at the time for me, I mean, you know, I I was holding my baby all the time, bouncing her on a bouncy ball. She was not what you would call one of these easy kids. And she still isn't. (laughs) We didn't hear that. (laughs) God bless her. She will be a a person who can speak out for herself, you know, thank Um, God for that. So I was dealing with this pain. I was going, I was realizing that what I was eating was, was making a difference, was making it worse. And I decided no more, like, I'm not going to do this yo-yo pattern anymore. And, and my relationship with food, it was just messed up. And, you know, it's interesting, registered dietitians, nutritionists, people who work in the field of nutrition have a higher incidence of things like eating disorders. So, um, I didn't have an eating disorder, but, but I, I, I was starting to realize something's not healthy here. So I'm working with a counselor, a, a dietitian, an acupuncturist. I'm diving into the scientific research, doing a lot of soul searching and even pulling on my traditional dietetics knowledge to find out what's going to heal my relationship with food. So I know that, you know, we have talked for a while now. So let me share a few strategies with your audience so that they, if they're struggling, can move forward as well. And and I do want everyone to know that if you're struggling, I just want to put it out there at cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. You can grab my emotional eating roadmap that outlines what it takes to heal emotional eating and what it takes to stay in that window of tolerance. So if we don't get to everything today, I want you to know I'm not (laughs) going to leave you hanging. Okay. (laughs) I was going to ask you to share that kind of information later anyway. So great that you went ahead and plugged it in, but let me just pry a little bit more before you start telling us how you worked it out. When you were going through the stressors in life of being a new mother and all of these things you were juggling, that loss of a job, how did it make you feel? How were you feeling inside as those things were happening? How, what did it make you think? And what, well, I think you told us what your behavior was. It was the uh, unhealthy eating. But what were, what were some of the emotions you wrestled with? Because I want to help our audience connect a little more to the story. Okay. You're going to, you're not going to see this coming. I thought I was fine. I thought everything was fine. I thought I was handling it well. I did because I was using food to numb my emotions. And I always had to a certain extent, I really 
was not connected to my emotions or accepting of them. Mm. You know, I grew up in a household that wasn't really connected to emotions and in a faith tradition Uh. too. Recently, I saw a shirt on a church's about me page as, as we're looking for a church in our area. And on the shirt, it said faith over feelings. And that was a red flag for me. And and there's nuance there. I'm not saying, oh, this is a terrible shirt, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's nuance there. So if you have yeah. that shirt, awesome. I can tell another meaning that they might have behind it too. But I see what you mean in context yes. of what you're describing. Yeah. Exactly. From my past, you know, I really grew up believing that my feelings were going to lead me down, quite frankly, the slippery slope to hell, that it was going to be my desire that was going to be fleshly, right? Like that these so are whereas I'm very God. in touch with my emotions. You were numb to yours at that time. So you yes. thought what the problem is, I'm fine. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Use my best slang. <laughs> That's exactly what was going through my mind. So you weren't in touch with anxiety. And I remember a point in my life as even my walk as a Christian to say you're afraid or have anxiety. That was so taboo. It's like, mm-hmm. then are you really a Christian? Are you yep. really what's going on here but I reached a point where you know what I do know I am a Christian and I love God and I read my Bible I'm fairly strong and yet I'm struggling so apparently we can get real about these emotions that I don't know we almost teach ourselves we're not supposed to have a hundred percent so you know for me at that time I thought I was fine It, it it wasn't until years later or, or you know some time had passed when i was able to and actually for me it it was like in marriage counseling you know mm. chasing it back to when did we start to feel disconnected oh it was this period of time where i was completely shutting down mm-hmm. my emotions and how i was feeling because i never one i really didn't have the tools Mm-hmm. Um, to deal with that. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't, my window of tolerance was very small. So I was, I'd be pushed out of it very quickly. So uh, what are the tools you came up with? So the first thing that you have to really do for yourself, and again, all that we're doing to help you make healthy choices is just to keep you in that window of tolerance. So how do you stay in there? It's really about your body and your nervous system and calming things down. Hmm. So recognizing when you're stressed, accepting that you're stressed, allowing the stress to be there, Mm -hmm. feeling the stress. That's the thing about food is, um, when you eat instead of feel, you get stuck with that emotion. That emotion stays with your body. Well, we often think the, the, the head and our feelings and our bodies are, are disconnected, but they aren't. Um, and there's research to prove this. I'm not just saying some woo-woo stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great book is The Body Keeps the Score for anyone who wants to know more about that. I like that title. Mm-hmm. I know, right? Like you already know what it's all about. <laughs> it's so good. So we need to calm down our nervous system. And uh, I like to recommend breathing practices or, you know, uh, kind of sensory activities you can do. One And one is just the five senses to sit and think, what are five things I can feel right now? What are four things I can uh, smell? Three things I can taste, two things I can see, one thing I can, you know, whatever. I always miss a sense, but you get the, you get the idea. Or just to spend time daily 
you know, drinking. I have a good friend who specializes in trauma and she recommends that people take their coffee outside and just stand there and drink your coffee outside for a minute, be present, you know, turn everything off, even just for a couple minutes, Mm -hmm. that's going to ground you into your body, calm your nervous system. And to know as well for women who are in that peri and postmenopausal stage, menopause and the menopausal transition is something that can make your cortisol levels or that stress hormone more volatile. Mm -hmm. Research shows when you're going through menopause, cortisol can be elevated. It also, you know, just separately from that research shows that it's a time in life for most women where stress is significantly higher. So calming down that nervous system, paying attention to your stress, even if you don't feel stressed, spending time getting kind of present and grounded in the moment uh, every day is going to set you up to stay inside that window of tolerance. Another thing you want to watch for, and this is, um, I talked about body and there's mind, heart, and soul. And so for your mind, your thoughts have a big influence here, have a big impact. And I I don't think we have time to even dive into all of it today. So I just want to tell everyone, go grab that roadmap that I mentioned earlier. um, And you can learn all about that. But the heart piece is really allowing yourself to feel your emotions and to create a safe space for you to do so. And Mm -hmm. I love to use Dr. Kristen Neff's research on self-compassion for this. So where you can be kind to yourself, you can recognize you're not alone because feeling isolated makes it all worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can accept the way that you're feeling in the moment and allow the feeling to be there when you're using the principles of self-compassion. And lastly is soul. You know, if you're someone who's doing, doing, doing for everyone else all day long, and you are never doing things for yourself, you need to know that your, your desires, your goals, your purposes in this life are good by going after those, you will provide yourself with the joy and the meaning um, that you need from life so that you don't have to turn to food for those things. Very good. I was doing a lot of reflection listening to you and thinking about, you know, areas where I need to shift in my thinking. And even you said something about, you said self, self-care, self but when I heard self-care in my mind, I turned it around to self-love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know they're related, but it somehow means something more to me because I feel that your self-love has to be correct before you can attempt to love others properly. So that's an additional inspiration for me to try to nail the self-love. It's not that I don't love myself, but I think there's levels to everything in life, everything. So even though I feel that um, I've done a lot of work and I feel pretty confident and I love myself, I think there's always more levels of loving myself and more levels of loving others. I was reflecting on all that while I was listening to you. And I was like, wow. So it somehow even makes it even more important to me Mm. to slow down and do that self-care. And what are the ways that I show myself love? Yeah, it's, it is also connected. And, you know, uh, one of the things that takes you out of your window of tolerance, again, back to that model, uh, is those, those beliefs that stem from your trauma, 
Mm-hmm. And for so, so, so many, I think one of the biggest places that trauma of any kind impacts, uh, again, from my experience working with people, and I'm not a, a therapist or a social worker, is the self-love. And mm-hmm. so working on, on loving yourself widens that window of tolerance so that when bad things happen, you're able to kind of accept them and integrate mm-hmm. them and roll with the punches rather than being pushed out into some of these unhelpful coping behaviors what came up for me as you were talking, you know, for anyone who is like, yes, I want more self-love. How do I get that? I would say this, start your day. You know, when you open your eyes in the morning or when you have, when you're outside drinking your coffee on your porch, ask, what is my body asking me for? What is my body asking me for? That practice is going to connect the head and and the heart and the body and the soul, it's going to help integrate your mind and your body because they are one. You are not a separate being uh, from, you know, your, your body. It's going to help you love yourself better because you'll start to be able to listen. Mm-hmm. And you might be so surprised. I'm not talking here about quinoa. Okay. I'm talking about my body, you know, wants me to take a nap. My body wants me to rest. I'll be honest with you. When this is done, I'm going to go take a nap. That's on my mind. That's what my body's asking me for. Guess what? I've been saying, all I got to do is get through Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I'm <laughs> to take a nap. And I can woosa. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that's one way to start to lean into that self-love for anyone out there who's going, yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. It's a nap. And it's also, you made me think of things. I think sometimes my body is asking me to take a walk. Our bodies love to move and it has nothing to do with weight. Like think of little kids. They're always moving. And I don't always listen to that because I'm, I got to do this and I got to do that. So sometimes I just naturally, I want to be outside. I want to take a walk. I want to breathe the fresh air, but I don't let myself do it because I got to do this and I got to do that. I mean, and imagine, so on the one hand, it is a win that you recognize that that's going on because some of us, it's also normal. I want to say for anyone who's like, I have no idea what my body wants. Some of us are so disconnected from our bodies. Like I explained my story. I totally was. I hadn't, if you would ask me that, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, what are you talking about? Bodies don't talk, you weirdo. Like, what kind of woo-woo hippie are you, you know? Um, but here I am now going, let's lean in. <laughs> Put your hand on your heart and ask yourself this question because it, it really works. And so if you're someone who would like to care for yourself better and you don't know what your body is saying, then maybe that's the place to start. But if you're someone who is hearing your body talk to you, that still small voice of like, hey, this is what you need right now. I say get experiment, like go do it, see what happens. I'm going to bet you're going to feel good. I'm going to bet you'd even be more productive, more Mm -hmm. loving, right? Like, um, and maybe you wouldn't even, but you're, you're worth caring for even apart from those outcomes. And I I can flip it uh, to the other side too. How often my body tells me to take a nap or sleep, Mm -hmm. you're tired. And I don't listen to that either. I keep going. I drink some more coffee. I push through it. I don't listen to my body. Yeah. On either side of the spectrum. I wouldn't say that I'm a lazy person, but I'm also not 
an active person because when my body wants to walk, I'm not doing that. And I'm not lazy per se either because I push through it. That's what I'm saying. It's such an interesting thing to think about how you can be disciplined and undisciplined at the same time. Yeah. I'm actually a very disciplined person. This conversation is obviously exposing to me too, where I lack discipline. Yeah, you know, I think it's normal. Dr. Hillary McBride uh, just came out with a book called Embody, and it's from her years and years of, of experience and personal and professional. And she said something that really stuck with me is that most of us think of ourselves as brains on top of walking meat sacks. I mean, it's hilarious. I, I did <laughs> highlight it for everyone who's wondering. But it it stuck with me because we live in a world that disconnects us. Even I believe there's aspects of our faith or or our culture, our faith culture, again, faith over feelings, right? Like that's that you can interpret that in a way that disconnects you Mm -hmm. from your body and how you feel and going on diets where you, the purpose is to be hungry and and starve yourself and some it's on some, right? Not all, but that disconnects you from your body and your hunger and your fullness and, you know, staying seated when your body wants to get up and move because we're expected to work 40 X hours and, you know, stay seated for that time. Like, honestly, everything in our world really is working against us to be more than a brain on top of a walking meat sack. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I think you come by it honestly. I'm sharing this in the hopes that anyone listening who identifies with this will have self-compassion for yeah. themselves um, and know like you, just by thinking about this, you're part of a growing movement of people who are realizing that this is not the way to live life. I was talking to someone not too long ago about mind, body, spirit. And acknowledging all of those parts and balancing all of those parts. And so what you just shared with me is causing me to reflect on that again. And I believe that I do a better job in two of those areas while neglecting one when they're all kind of intertwined. Yeah. So the two parts where I feel like I succeed more could help me guide that third part back to balance too. I don't know. I don't know if it makes that much sense. I said the same thing to him while I was explaining it, but I I'm, I'm getting turned on to something. I'm seeing something that I, I don't know that I have the full. Yeah. Full understanding, but I'm onto something. Something's percolating. Yeah. I'll keep uh, thinking about these things. What that reminds me of is, you know, I know that this uh, is going to come out for your listeners around the season of New Year's resolutions. Uh (laughs) And I love that framework of mind, body, spirit. The other one I like to say is I borrow from Danielle Laporte's work and say, how do you want to feel? Like, how do you want to feel in your body or with your mind or spiritually? Right. Right. And what I want to say, and, and, and I, you know, this is again, my belief, this is a soapbox moment. So take it all with a grain of salt, but as you're thinking in the new years, is a diet really the answer to the mind, body, spirit, or is that going to disconnect you even further from your body? 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I think before we start to address food and I bring this up because a lot of people are going to be thinking about mm-hmm. dieting around the new year's it, around the new year's oftentimes people want to go on diets mm-hmm. and we're talking here about the things that allow you to make healthy food choices. And what I think you will see is I never talked about cutting out a certain food group. Mm-hmm. I never talked about calorie or carb targets. Mm-hmm. What I talked about was being connected to your body, feeling good and safe in your body, being present to how you feel, feeling your feelings. Right. And actually the diets that you may think to go on to get some of these similar results that we're talking about here, like a peaceful relationship with food and yourself, those diets are actually working against that. They're creating mm-hmm. these forbidden foods that you want to you know, reach for because yeah. you get the dopamine when you think about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, this is kind of a, an anti-diet culture uh, <laughs> message here. It's, it's one you may not have heard before. And, and so I, I encourage you to, to think about setting yourself up for a healthy and peaceful relationship with your body. I like it because as I listen to you, I just keep hearing the word balance, balance, balance. And I like the way you're describing it in a way that can be understood and you can even reflect on what does this mean for me? What adjustments might this mean for me? You're at least getting those wheels to turn in my head. And so since it's turning in my head, I think maybe it'll be turning in my audience member's head too. (laughs) So we are getting to the point in the show. I always ask my guests the same last question. And it's basically which one final gem can you leave with our audience today? And this is the single most important thing. If if everybody just has amnesia and forgets everything, this is the one thing. Please don't forget this. What would that be for you? It is be kind to yourself. Going back to that idea of self-love. Yeah. Your eating is not a reflection of your self-control, your willpower, or your discipline. Mm-hmm. It's a reflection of advances in food science of diet culture, your stress response, your trauma history. There's so many things that yes, you can address. You're not a victim to these things, Mm -hmm. but they impact you. And if you don't, if you're not aware of how they're impacting you, then, then they're going to have that much more power. So if you want to find out how you can make healthier choices for yourself, uh, the answer is to start with self-kindness mm-hmm. um, and, and some reflection like you've been doing during our conversation <laughs> and then be compassionate in your reflection. And that's going to lead you to the best next step. I can tell that you are great at what you're doing. I feel like, wow, you really have found your area. It's been a blessing to me. I'm interviewing you, but you've been a blessing to me just by the information you shared and the things that you have um, caused me to reflect on, the knowledge you've given me. So thank you. You've been a gift to me and to my audience. And so I know you mentioned a couple of things before about how people can get the free gift from you, but give us a little more information, um, anything you want to share about how people can get in touch with you, have you as a speaker, or if you have any books or 
Love it. Thank you. First of all, I just want to say I practice feeling my emotions and letting my very sensitive emotions show. (laughs) That's important to me in my growth. So I want everyone to know that I I started crying from your words because they were so kind and I'm so grateful. So thank you for allowing me to be here and do a client told me I was nerding out the other day. And I think this is an example. (laughs) This is an example of that because they tell me their problems and I go, Ooh, here we go. So yes, if, like I said, if you're someone who's like, I need help with this, what do I do? Help go to cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. That's C-A-S-S-I-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R.net. I I feel like I'm on an infomercial and that's (laughs) going to give you um, my, my emotional eating roadmap. It's called you're done dieting, but still want to heal emotional eating a roadmap to achieve peace and freedom with food and feel comfortable in your own skin. So go grab that. It's free. I'll tell you what, I worked so hard on that thing. It's going to give you the journey of like really show you what it's going to take. And again, you're going to see on there, it's not dieting. And then it's going to give you the first step to, you know, start on that journey so that you can set yourself up for success. So if you're thinking about New Year's resolutions or how to be healthy in 2022, go grab that. If you're someone who just wants to talk to me, you can you can send me an email. Hi at CassieChristopher.net. That's my email for speaking or chatting or just going, oh my gosh, what do I do? I'm here for you. So go ahead and, uh, and reach out to me. So thank you again so much for having me. Uh, it's been so fun to talk with you and share with your audience. It is fun. It's funner than I thought. I mean, I don't know really what I thought. I thought, I don't know. I thought maybe it was going to be more textbook, but it's so lively. I love your energy. I can even see how you care about people. I've really enjoyed this conversation. That's what I mean by funner than I thought. <laughs> I get it. I get it. You thought we were going to talk about food and uh, no. about, I feel like you just have a question. You could talk about anything too. And guess what? I'm going to go get that offering that you have and you'll probably hear from me in about a couple of weeks when I go on vacation for you yes rest 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 good yeah (laughs) so thanks so much and I mean it from the bottom of my heart I love meeting good people I have that feeling from you so it's not just that you're expert at what you do you're a good person and I really appreciate you taking out the time uh, to be a guest on my show Thank you. I've been blessed by it. Like I said, let me nerd out. I'm here for it. So thank you. (laughs) You take care. Have a great day. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, Subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.